This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Diplomats from the EU agreed on a price cap for Russian oil of $60 per barrel. The policy aims to squeeze Russia's revenue by prohibiting Western firms from insuring, shipping, or trading Russian crude anywhere in the world unless it is sold below the cap. The G7 and Australia also endorsed the plan, saying it would take effect on December 5th or soon after. Russia is seeking to encircle the town of Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine, Britain's defense ministry said. The town carries little strategic value, but has gained, quote, symbolic significance for the Kremlin, the ministry added. An adviser to Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, suggested that Russia was waiting until temperatures dropped to around minus 10 degrees Celsius to launch a new wave of strikes. Employers in America added more jobs than expected, 263,000, to non-farm payrolls in November. A separate household survey showed that 186,000 people left the labor force, putting pressure on wages, which rose by 0.6% in November from the previous month. Strong hiring and pay growth are unlikely to deter the Federal Reserve from its highly telegraphed plan to ease interest rate increases in December. The World Health Organization said that 90% of the world now have some resistance to COVID-19, but warned that a new variant causing, quote, significant mortality could still emerge. Tedros Adenom Ghebreyesus, the WHO's director general, said, Gaps in surveillance, testing, sequencing, and vaccination persist around the world. Meanwhile, China began easing restrictions in major cities, in what the country's COVID czar, Sun Chunlan, called a new stage in the fight against the virus. Iran's Attorney General, Mohammad Jafar Montazeri, suggested that its parliament was reviewing a law requiring women to wear a hijab. Ongoing protests were sparked in September by the death in custody of Masa Amini, a 22-year-old woman arrested by the morality police for violating the dress code. Mr. Montezeri said the results of the review would be announced in the next two weeks. Kyriakos Mitsotakis, Greece's prime minister, held secret talks with George Osborne, chairman of the British Museum, over a possible return of the Elgin Marbles to Athens, reported a Greek newspaper. The contested ownership of the frieze, taken by Lord Elgin from the Parthenon in the early 1800s and later transferred to the British Museum, has long been a running sore in British-Greek relations. Football World Cup the knockout round of the tournament begins after a group stage punctuated by a series of extraordinary upsets. Germany, four-time champions, and Belgium, semi-finalists in 2018, failed to make the cut. Representatives from six continents will play out the round of 16 in the coming days. And word of the week. Fumuguan, a Chinese word meaning father-mother official and often used to describe local magistrates in imperial times. 
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. War Lessons from Ukraine Open-source intelligence, like YouTube footage of drone strikes and tank battles, has given the public unprecedented insight into war. But it can also mislead. A new report by the Royal United Services Institute, a think tank in London, draws on Ukrainian military data to bust some myths. What made the difference in the first weeks of the conflict, for instance, was not Western anti-tank missiles and Turkish drones, fed it on social media, but huge volumes of artillery to stop Russians north of Kyiv. That is a sobering thought for European armies, all of which have less artillery than Ukraine did in February. Drones were important, but 90% of all those that Ukraine deployed between February and July were destroyed. Deception played a vital role. On one occasion, Ukraine photographed a destroyed airfield and printed the images onto a large tarpaulin to trick Russian satellites. This led, amusingly, the report notes, to the Russians debating whether Ukrainian fighter aircraft were operating from subterranean shelters. Democrats' Last Weeks of Power in the House Nothing clarifies priorities like a tight deadline, and America's Democrats are staring down two. The first is December 16th, when annual federal funding expires. Congress needs to pass a spending bill, or extend the deadline, to avoid a government shutdown. The second is January 3rd, when control of the House of Representatives will flip to Republicans. Democrats have tried to use their waning days of unified control of Congress to push through some final bills. They are set to cross one off their list, a law enshrining the protection of same-sex and interracial marriages. Less realistically, they want to ban assault rifles and protect the residency rights of undocumented immigrants who were brought to America as children. Neither is likely to get the necessary 60 votes to overcome a filibuster in the Senate. On Tuesday, a runoff election in Georgia may see Democrats add to their slim majority in the upper chamber next year. But with Republicans set to control the House, expect legislative gridlock come January. England's Cricket Tour of Pakistan in March 2009, Islamist militants attacked a bus carrying the Sri Lankan cricket team to play a match in the Pakistani city of Lahore. Eight people were killed. The assault also pushed Pakistani cricket into exile. For the next decade, no international team would visit the country, and home matches were shifted to the United Arab Emirates. Yet, cricket in Pakistan has stayed on its feet. The team won two international trophies and a successful 2020 franchise league was introduced, and now it is hosting international cricket again. Since Sri Lanka returned in 2019, Australia, Bangladesh, and South Africa have visited. This month, England is touring. For cricket-mad Pakistanis living through economic and political turmoil, the three test matches will be a welcome distraction. They've already been entertained, albeit at their team's expense. England kicked things off on Thursday by smashing 506 runs, a record for the first day of a test. The Beach Boys, 
more than just good vibrations. For most listeners, the Beach Boys catalog both peaks and ends with the album Pet Sounds and the single Good Vibrations, both masterpieces from 1966. Yet over the following seven years, the band would release eight more albums which, although they sold poorly, would form an influential body of work. A new reissue, Sail on Sailor, 1972, collects the final LPs of this sequence, Carl and the Passions, So Tough, and Holland. These records were made in the near absence of the band's guiding genius, Brian Wilson, but the rest of the band stepped up in his place. Holland, in particular, is an undervalued marvel. Mr. Wilson's late brothers, Dennis and Carl, shine creatively, and new members, Blondie Chaplin and Ricky Fatar, come to the fore on the eponymous Sail on Sailor, a classic rock number. The Beach Boys retained their fascination long after their commercial pomp. Weekend Profile Alexi, a protester in Shanghai. Alexi has joined two protests in her life. Both times, the Shanghai coffee shop owner, whose name we have changed, chanted slogans against China's government, a good way to risk a jail sentence. In 2019, to express her own discontent with China's growing authoritarianism, she traveled to Hong Kong, where she marched with millions of others calling for democratic rule in the territory. She was unable to tell anyone who she was and what she was doing there. I felt alone, but paradoxically, I had never felt so close to the people around me, she says. In the three years since, Chinese officials have only tightened their grip on Hong Kong. Many there have lost hope. Alexei has, too. She considered leaving China on several occasions, but ultimately decided against it, not because she didn't have the means, but because of her, quote, unspeakably deep connections with her homeland. Alexei is a globetrotter, having lived in Argentina and traveled to nearly all the continents. She came back to China four years ago, hoping to establish a stable life, even though it soon started to become, quote, unbearable, not least because of the prolonged COVID-19 lockdowns. Last Saturday night, she found some solace. She learned from friends that protesters were gathering on Wulumuchi Road, just three kilometers from her apartment. Taking a bouquet of flowers and sheets of white paper, the symbolic weapons of these protests, she joined them. She laid flowers in tribute to the families who had died two days before in a fire in an apartment building in Xinjiang in far west China. The building's exits had reportedly been sealed to comply with China's zero-COVID policy. The blank paper is more explicitly political, a challenge to China's strict controls on free expression. She could hear the chanting from a few blocks away. No to PCR testing, yes to freedom! When one person shouted, Communist Party! A handful of people responded tentatively, Step down! Again the man shouted, Communist Party! This time the response was stronger and more joined in, including Alexei. Step down! The next day, clips of the protest she attended flooded Twitter, which is blocked in China, but accessed by people with virtual private networks. With dread, she stopped the videos on each frame to check if her face was visible. It wasn't. I was afraid, and still am, 
but I just had to go, she says. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Jin Hong Park, Suwon, South Korea, North America, Mary Lou Finlay, Toronto, Canada, Central and South America, Federico Tarling, La Plata, Argentina, Europe, Katarzyna Piontis, Sopot, Poland. Africa, Neres Moodley, Durban, South Africa. Oceania, Ewan Mackenzie Bowie, Auckland, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Peacock, Rope, Mustard, Candlestick Park, and The Scarlet Letter. The theme is Clue, or Cluedo. Mrs. Peacock, Colonel Mustard, and Miss Scarlet are characters, and the rope and candlestick are weapons. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Robert Louis Stevenson. Our business in this world is not to succeed, but to continue to fail in good spirits. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. 